Welcome to the Home Building Hub, your essential podcast guide to building your new home. Hosted by industry experts Colin Bischoff and Darren Brennan, this conversational podcast will help better educate you about all things new home building so you can avoid costly mistakes and enjoy your building experience to the fullest, no matter which home builder you choose. Hey there folks, Colin here and welcome to the Home Building Hub. I'm here with co-host Darren Brennan and today we're going to be talking about all things estate guidelines or otherwise known as estate requirements or estate covenants. We're going to be explaining what they are, what they mean, we're going to walk through some examples and really help you understand as you buy a block of land or buy a house land package um, what they are in terms of how they are added on top of the build price uh, why they do that, and um, basically give you the education from there. So how are you going today, Daz? Yeah, Cole, good, mate. Uh, ready to rip into the next one. Uh, I think this is uh, episode 17, mate, so we're getting through them. Uh, keep, we keep uh, manning up every week, which is good, yep. mate, and the feedback's been really positive around that, so we want to keep that uh, rolling in. So, yeah, you'll see us out there every week uh, dropping the next episode. So we've got some, uh, some really good... Uh, people joining us over the coming weeks too, mate, that I'm pretty excited about. We'll announce that as they come up. But, um, yeah, it's picked up some guests coming our way as well. Yep. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Uh, is there a fee for the podcast, Daz, as we kick off? Mate, there's always a fee. So, And it's very cheap. It's just simply share the podcast with some friends, family, uh, and foe. Anyone uh, that you think might get value out of the podcast, we'd love mm. uh, if you shared that. Uh, also, if you get an opportunity, drop us a five-star review. Um, I've uh, watched a couple of people drop us a five-star review on Spotify as an example, and I reckon it took all of about three seconds. So if you can spare us three seconds, we'd really appreciate the five stars, and um, hopefully it'll get the podcast more available to others online. Um, the other part's our disclaimer. So whilst we're all about providing value to you this podcast should not be considered as legal or financial advice it contains general information only and you should seek out independent professional advice on your personal situation before making any legal or financial decisions wow. I reckon we can rip in now mate yep you've nailed that you're getting pretty good at that disclaimer i could almost do it with my eyes closed cole there you go all right almost. so i'll ask you the first question and that is for everyone to understand in an essence, what are estate covenants or guidelines? Yeah, they're basically a set of rules uh, that your house needs to comply with to build a home in your estate. So the estate of which your uh, land has been purchased, it's separate to things such as Resco. Um, it's it's a separate document to that. Um, you know, the estate requirements they're basically, I guess, another reason why the builder can't necessarily always provide you a fixed upfront build because sometimes there's certain elements that they just can't fix up front. There might be structural changes required to the floor plan that they need to sketch and work that out. So it's being mindful that sometimes, and that's not always, but certainly sometimes uh, the builder might not be able to provide that for you. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, they can certainly fix those costs up front. They'll know that, you know, we need to do this certain element and, and away we go. Um, they're usually in the land contract, so you'll find them in your land contract and they're presented as design guidelines. Um, yeah, and they're, they're also often available on the estate website. You might walk in there and have got a glossy brochure of those. Um, some of them are quite short. They might be one page, two pages long. I've seen some 
that are enormous. I'm talking hundreds of pages long. Um, so, you know, sometimes that can seem really overwhelming, um, but work with your sales consultant on that and they'll really help guide you through uh, those and simplify that. And often builders will even have a simplified version that they've put together to say, yeah, actually on our houses just need to do, you know, A, B, C, D and E and away we go. So, mm. you know, it can be pretty simple and straightforward in that respect. Often these design guidelines are put in place to appease the council as part of getting a permit as well. So sort of understanding why they're sometimes put in place. And I'd give you an example is up here in Ballarat where I live, they put in place that every new home being built needs to have a rainwater tank. And that's driven by the council. So they put it in as a design guideline. Um, in most of the estates, uh, it's simply covered that, you know, you're not required to get it when you, you go and get a separate application. It's just done as part of the building permit, but it is a design guideline. So yeah. Um, I guess the reference in that all is talk to your sales consultant at your builder and they'll help guide you through that. And they should be able to identify all those items up front. Um, often they'll know them already because they'll be building, you know, homes in that estate and they'll be hopefully your resident expert, but they'll certainly be able to help you through that. So it's not something to be worried about. It's just something to be, you know, understanding of. So one thing I'd add much yeah, sure, cool. is just to help people explain the point I guess, firstly, design guidelines and, and requirements, that they're generally dictated by the developer of the, the, the estate in which you are purchasing a block of land. Um, and the reason overall, realistically, like the restrictions are put in place for a good reason, and that is to make sure that the, the aesthetics of that estate you know, look really good and, and have, you know, some, some of them have like a swimming pool and, and gyms and things. Um, and some of them just have, you know, a park and, and the slides and stuff like that as part of their estate. And they want their estate to look, feel and be amazing. So they will essentially try and take away people's ability to come in cheap. Um, and, you know, by, by adding more appeal to the, the homes, what's in them and what's on them. Um, they're, they're specifying that just to really encourage you know, home, home, I guess, owner-occupiers and things like that to come in and really just to create a really nice estate, not just for the next year but for the next 10 years, you know. So you, you're surrounded by, you know, people who really have some pride in their estate. So that's one of the Absolutely. real reasons, isn't it, why people do yeah, it. If, uh, yeah. if I give you the example that, that estate that I know has got a really, really long uh, estate guidelines, and that would be Ainsbury Estate which is um, an estate in Melbourne, um, I'd go and say as far as to drive through that estate now, it's one of the nicest looking estates going around. Mm. You know, they've they've driven as far as most houses are, actually have to have a front fence. It's got a real cottagey sort of community, older sort of feel about it. It's such a nice looking place to drive into and that's been driven by you know, this level of a state guideline. And I think it's actually made people really house proud. And there's nothing mm. better when you live in a house proud area that, you know, your neighbours trying to keep up with you, keeping your garden looking good and everything else looking good. I think it's it's a great place to live when that's, all, you know, all working in harmony together. So, yeah. As Can opposed be a to a, a street full of all renters and, and, you know, five vehicles out the front and things like that. That's what these requirements Correct. are for, to prevent, you know, people coming through. Uh, to make your estate and your street not look as good as it should, yeah. Absolutely. So, hey, Cole, let me put it to you. What are some of the common guidelines and requirements that you come across, mate? 
Yeah, so for everyone, um, we will, I guess, go through some basics. You know, if you, if you want to just note these down, some of the the most common things that people uh, that developers would put in place uh, around building setbacks. So once you go through this this brochure, design guideline brochure, building setbacks, essentially how far you know does the front of the house need to be from the front? How far, I guess, from the sides as well. Um, so they will dictate that for us. Uh, dwelling and structural requirements. Uh, that might be some estates say, you know, you need a higher ceiling, uh, maybe the, the eave depth. So the eaves are those little, um, I guess, uh, sections of the roof that overhang past the brick wall at the front. And they're usually at the front, uh, not necessarily required around the sides and around the back of a home, but some estates they do. Um, I know in other states uh, they're the eaves are required around the whole home. Um, so, yeah, they, they dictate things like that. The roof pitch as well, Daz, they, they sort of, you know, usually 22.5 is the standard angle. So that's what a roof pitch is. Some of them make you uh, increase it to 25, for example. Um, so, you know, there's some of the dwelling structural requirements. Facade requirements are pretty big on all covenants. Uh, and most builders these days have facades that address most of these requirements up front in their standard or upgraded facades. But, you know, porch sizes, window types, material uh, finishes, you can't just have um, one red brick like you did back in the day. Like it just doesn't look as good and the estate doesn't want that in there. So you'll have to have contrasting materials like a bit of timber or a bit of render or a bit of brick, you know, in combination. Okay, so there's a couple there. Driveway requirements are also outlined. Um, it says things like, okay, it must be, it can't be plain concrete because that doesn't look good. It must be coloured concrete or it must be exposed aggregate, etc. Um, and then garage setbacks, door sizes and finishes are even things covered as well. So back in the, I guess, not that long ago, perhaps 10 years ago, you, you, most designs used to have the garage in front of the dwelling. Like if you look at those old houses, yeah. they're not even that old, but they used to have the garage first and you'd walk like on the side of the garage to get to the front of the house. No estate wants that anymore. So they'll have a rule saying that your garage must be set back behind the front building line and all the designs by builders had to change over the years to address that sort of need. Um, the other thing is they'll restrict how wide your garage can be. You can't have a garage dominating the entire width of your block. It must be you know, maybe only maximum 40%, for example. Okay, so builders and, and developers, they have to go through all this to make sure that your house complies um, and even the type of uh, roller doors are not allowed. The type of door on your garage must be usually a panel lift or sectional lift um, roller door, uh, or probably I shouldn't say roller door, but sectional panel door instead of the old roller doors just for that street appeal. Um, yeah, uh, building materials I mentioned, and maybe, Daz, if you want to continue on the list and, and finish it off for us. Yeah, absolutely. So it can cover things like the rooftop, so they may specify you've got to have a colourbond roof or or a particular type of roof tile, so a slimline type roof tile, a really flat roof tile. Um, often they'll dictate the colours in that as well. So, you know, they may say mm. it can't be zinc loom, it's got to be colourbond, it can't be shiny and reflective, that sort of stuff. Um, they can often put sustainability requirements, and again, this often points back to um, the council driving the sustainability part. So um, things such as recycled water, um, water tanks, etc., that sort of stuff. Even some are now implementing putting solar panels on your roof. So um, as part of the build, which, you know, again, are all, all pretty positives. And some of these things will become more and more so as part of the new NCC requirements. We'll pick up some of this stuff as well that are coming up. And we've spoken about a previous podcast on that. 
um, internet uh, connection, so your NBN or your you know other versions of that. So, for example, Opticom um, would be another example. Um, they'll also tell you a bit about your color scheme. So they might say you can't have a red brick. You might have to have a cream brick or a different color brick or certain, you know, more um, beachy type tones or more uh, rural tones. And they'll put specific color requirements in there and say these colors you can't have. And, you know, I've often given the example, Colin, what I like about it is it means your neighbor can't build a pink shed next door. You know, so like, yeah. you don't want to have a pink shed next to your place you've spent a lot of money on. So yeah. those sort of things are terrific. Um, landscaping, so they'll dictate the type of plants that you can plant often when you're applying for your developer, you know, requirements that they'll get you to send in a landscape plan, a bit of a sketch up as to how you're going to set that up um, and make that look good. And yeah, another one outlined there'd be fencing. So they'll specify whether you can have a timber fence, a, a cap timber fence with exposed posts or a colour bond fence would be some of the more common ones. But they can also uh, detail whether you can have um a front fence or not so often they'll say no you can't have a front fence um if you've on a corner block they may specify that the fence has got to be built in a certain way um so those sort of mm. are some of the real key items there i guess that yeah cover it off it's not limited to those because they can be uh long and arduous some of these lists um yeah. but that'd be some of the absolute key ones yeah but- yeah, I find the fencing one surprises people a lot. Like, oh, why can't I have a front fence? You know, it's just if you yep. drive through new estates, you'll find that very, very rarely will you see a front fence. And a lot of people don't even pay attention to the type of fence as well. So the three main types are just a standard timber fence that people do know. But what you'll find these days is there's, there's one that Darren mentioned, exposed post, but there's a capped, um, I guess it's called um, ta- capped timber. So it's not... It's not just the fence going upright vertical. It's got a nice panel um, uh, horizontally as well on top of that fence. Just makes it look a little bit better. Um, nice little place for the cats to sit as well, I think, and the birds. <laughs> but, yeah, people don't notice these things until you point them out. Sometimes they're colour bond as well. But it's all part of the aesthetic and the appeal, appeal of that estate. Um, Absolutely. Maybe, Daz, if it's okay, if you could explain a little bit more. So there's some of the examples of what people can expect, but who actually oversees the implementation of these guidelines? It varies a little bit, but I guess as part of that, of getting your building permit, um, you'll often need to apply your, to have your plan stamped off by the developer um, or I say a third party acting on behalf of the developer. So often they might even outsource that themselves um, off to somebody else to check over their plans. Um, you know, they'll make sure that your plans then comply with those developer requirements. Um, I guess a good part about that is often these align with getting the same sort of items uh, required for getting a building permit anyway. So a lot of them align to ResCode. So it can mm. make your, or, you know, I say ResCode or similar. So if you're interstate, it can be, there's obviously other versions, BASICs in New South Wales, et cetera. Um, but often if you meet the design guidelines, you're already a fair way towards meeting those other requirements. So it'll make the, the process of getting a building permit fairly straightforward. Um, Sometimes they're just simply put in place as part of the building permit. So rather than, you know, it'll say, you know, when you apply for your building permit, as long as you tick these boxes, you know, so it doesn't have to go off to the developer or third party and your building surveyor or the council can sign those off. Um, so yeah, that certainly, um, 
helps. I think one other part to note is they can have an expiry date as well. So sometimes it might be five years or 10 years, or other times they're there for the life of that block being a block of land. So just have a good look into that detail, because if you're buying a resale block and it's quite a few years old, you may not have to comply with those same design guidelines. So just mm. you know, have a good read, find out the detail on that. Um, and a, so, a resale yeah. block being purchasing a land, a block of land directly from a real estate agent that an individual's selling as opposed to going to a land estate, seeing the, the price list or, or the blocks that are available across that estate and buying it directly through the developer. Uh, resale blocks are something that are a lot more common at the moment. Um, so, you know, I guess with interest rates and stuff, a lot of people c- can't afford to settle on the block or have just settled and they need to get more money back in their bank account so they're selling them. There's lots of different reasons, but essentially that's what a resale block is versus, you know, the normal purchase through an estate. For sure. Cole, with, um, you know, with the, the, I guess, understanding of the needs to make additional you know, adjustments or, you know, improvements to the standard building plan to meet the design guidelines. What's your thoughts around that, mate? Are you Mm. a a fan of building in an estate with, you know, uh, design guidelines and and, and to what level? You know, how do you see that? Yeah, good question. I I think my view on it has changed over the years. Um, When I first started in the industry, I just saw additional covenants as an additional cost to to the home buyer. So I would I would be active like because the buyers, you know, you guys listening, you're trying to find the best price, you know, the best value and everything in between that. And you don't want to necessarily have to add additional things onto your house or in your house because that estate requires it. So first thing is understanding that it's not a builder adding the price on because they feel like it. If you want to live in that estate, these are the six rules that they they need, and they are going to cost you ten grand. If you want to go to the estate next door, they only have two rules. It'll cost you one grand. You know, I, I used to go, okay, we'll go to the estate with, you know, if, if you're looking at price and you've got a tight budget, go to the second estate because you've only got to spend a thousand dollars on requirements. I now live in an estate that actually has quite a few requirements and the estate is is much nicer um, to the point where they, they actually have a swimming pool and gym and all that sort of stuff, but they pay people to walk around the estate and, and if you don't mow your lawns and things like that, they actually issue you a notice <laughs> and they ban your access to the, you know, to the, the whatever it's called, the lifestyle centre. So that's interesting to see that over the years and, and, and the impact of that. It sort of forces, hey, we're really proud of this estate you need to maintain it and you hold your own. Like you can't have bins sitting out the front of the garage, a big no-no. Okay, so my answer to that, Darren, would be uh, these days I don't necessarily think going too over the top in an estate. I think some estates go too far, but I would say if you've got if you've got a house and land package or a block you're looking at in an estate that's got a few covenants and a few requirements that really add some, you know, some niceties uh, to your home, I would be very much pro that. I think it's really important because of the one factor that if you go to the cheapest estate that has less covenants, you're going to be living with a lot more renters because investors will come in and they'll save that extra few grand if they can. And I guess it's here and now is easy to make that decision. Well, that's cheaper than that one. I'm just going to go ahead. But you will suffer that pain down the track in a year or two or three when when everyone else is built up and living in that street and you've got, as I said before, six cars across the road um, and a lot of noise happening and things like that. So 
I would say it's good to have some covenants, uh, definitely. Yeah, and I think um, I agree completely. I'm I'm a fan of them. Um, the only exception I would say to that is there are times when you can have probably the nicest looking facade in the street, and it'll get knocked back because you know it might have a a, a really boxy look about it, so a parapet look about it, and they say, well, you've got to have an eave. So you got to have the bri- a bit overhanging the front. And you're like, well, it doesn't work on it. You can't yeah. have that. Like, and you're going to end up missing out on this amazing facade because they're being pretty stubborn around well the rules are the rules so you know that's probably the only downside i see is is sometimes i think you've got to it's got to be taken on its merit more so than you know ticking Mm -hmm. the boxes uh but outside of that you know generally those estates that have them drive a bit more of a house proud uh element um and and possibly the cost sometimes means that it brings a, a higher level of clientele into that estate you know Mm. Whether whether people like that or not, it can be the case. So yeah, and increase the value of your home down the yeah, track. Indeed. If they're all indeed. beautiful, it's a nice estate. It's it, it's you know, it's got a great appeal in in five ten years, and you're in a good position. The other thing is yeah. the lifestyle component, Darren. There are some coastal estates that have specific facade requirements that will only be in line with the the, the location in which it, in which that estate is. So if you're a beachfront or a beachside suburb. They don't want a big, ugly red brick house in there. They want a nice coastal facade or Hamptons look and things like that. So they will do that for the benefit of of the location as well. Okay, so that's why I think they're good things. There's two things I do want to note, Darren. In addition to design guidelines, there are two documents that, that a builder will look at. They will be usually in your land contract, but most builders will have them separately. They will outline all the requirements in a text format, but sometimes they've got some other things that not necessarily are in the guidelines. First document, plan of subdivision. So that um, that's that little image of, of all the blocks in your stage and shows you the dimensions of the, the front, the I guess the width and the length, the orientation of the block, etc. But if you scroll down or, or go to the last couple of pages on a plan of subdivision, it, it often also has a couple of uh, restrictions. Okay, so usually they will be in the guidelines, but sometimes it'll say, look, you need one metre boundary clearance down the side. So if you're buying a little narrow block and you're expecting to build the house boundary to boundary, um, some some estates won't let you do that. So it's really important that those the sales consultant, I suppose, over and above, just you, because they will understand more, that they go through a plan of subdivisions restrictions. And secondary, accompanying a plan of subdivision, not always, but quite often is a document called an MCP. And that stands for Memorandum of Common Provisions. And that document's a, a fairly detailed document, but it does also outline the restrictions that you'll find in the guidelines, but it also looks at building envelopes. So your block is X by X, but within that block, here's the pad in which you can build on. You must have this setback and this side setback or this front setback. It also outline you know, the restrictions around building heights as well. So you can't just go and build a three-story home and things like that, okay? So the, there, there are two other documents. So MCP is is uh, something that the sales consultant, the builder will go through and they'll, they'll just make sure that they're ticking off everything in terms of the design that uh, you're looking to purchase with them. So just important to note those, I think, Daz, yeah. For sure. Great, mate. I think uh, it probably covers a fair bit of it, mate. Maybe uh, a few of our tips. I might kick them off, mate. Uh, so I guess our requirements are a positive thing. Um, they certainly can add some more cost up front, that, no doubt. But um, as we've just spoken about, those 
areas that have design guidelines generally end up delivering a, a nicer estate. So mm. you'll end up with a better outcome there. I guess, you know, it does also put in things like no caravans can be out the front of your house, et cetera, you know, and, and, some of those can be, you know, for some people painful, but for most people are going to say, you know what, I end up with a, a better place to live. So um, yeah. I'd say, you know, design guidelines are definitely a tick for me, mate. So yeah. Um, the next one that's, for that's mine. Maybe you can give a couple. Yeah. Next tip for us would be uh, for well, ask your land agent to take you through the requirements if you're buying through a developer through a land estate. What? I'd always encourage you to say, you know, can you please take me through the estate requirements are here, and and that'll give you a really good understanding of what, I guess, how pride, how proud they are of that estate, because it will show you, you know, if someone says, oh look, we don't really have any, we don't, you know, it's not really a thing, then, okay, sure, then maybe you should buy an investment there only, but not an owner occupier. If someone's going through, oh look, we're really, really proud of our estate. We're going to have a park here and this there and that there, and and every house will be this and. Like that's something that I would suggest is more appealing, okay? So just definitely ask your land agent to take you through the requirements themselves. Um, and then perhaps the last tip we can leave you with, I think take the time to review the guidelines. Don't worry about um, too much detail, but go through the, I guess the night, everyone's got a nicer, glossier version now. So there'll be a, you know, a booklet or a couple of pages there that the developer can give you. And in most cases, the builder can give you or you can get it off the website. Take the time to read it because it gives you a great feel for that estate, okay, so, and your understanding of not just what, what the house requirements are but what your requirements are post-build. So if you're going through a builder that doesn't do landscaping or fencing, that's going to be on you and you're going to have to follow the rules and the restrictions within the landscaping and fencing of, uh, the, you know, the design guidelines, okay. So just make sure that that's something that, that you support, I suppose, and, and you're happy to live with. Yeah. No, that's great, mate. I think uh, that, that's uh, a pretty good description of sort of where estate guidelines sit and, and, and the importance that they play in, in, you know, this industry. So, you know, I think they yep. are a very valuable tool to ensure the quality of the homes that are getting built are, are maintained at a, at a good standard. So Yeah. And they're also the reason we can't give you, again, a base price includes the base price inclusions. We have to add the site costs on until we know what the lot is. You know, we have to add the covenants on until we know what a state is in. That's why a builder can't just go, here's the price, until they know more detail. Yep. Okay, so please understand that component as well. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, sure, Daz, thanks for that. We uh, did pretty well there today. Uh, for anyone listening, please uh, do leave us a five-star review if you like what you hear, uh, if, you, if you're enjoying the podcast overall. Uh, any questions, comments, feedback, jump on the website, hit on the, the contact button and there's a little uh, email thing you can use there. Um, and other than that, I think, uh, yeah, we've done pretty well, Daz. We'll uh, jump on to the next one, shall we? Absolutely, mate. Good on you, Cole. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you. One, two, three.